If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 76 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this Sunday, December 13th, 2020. Let's kick things off by, as always, giving our shout-outs to Ball9 and Grunt Talks MLB. But before we do really quick, I do have a brief announcement about the shout-outs on this show. I don't know if you guys would happen to remember T Left Jab, who I used to shout out on the show a while back. But if you do, then you would know that I stopped shouting them out because unfortunately, Team Left Jab came to an end. But fortunately, the guy who ran Team Left Jab, who has become a good friend of mine, has since come back with a new product. A product that I'll start shouting out on next week's Yapping Yankees, hopefully for the foreseeable future. So, starting next week, I'm going to have three products to shout out from now on. And you know what? I love to do it because these people really do help me out to get the word out about Yapping Yankees, and I couldn't put into words how much I appreciate it. So me shouting them out is a small token of my appreciation to them, and also I'm more than happy to show support myself for anyone who has a product who works their behinds off like I do to put out solid sports content for the world to consume. So definitely stay tuned and hang tight for next week when I start to shout out his product alongside Ball9 and Grunt Talks MLB. But speaking of those two, let's get to their shoutouts. Ball 9 brings you some of the best baseball content out there. Baseball stories, old and new, articles, roundtable discussions, suggested baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and more. Visit Ball 9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball 9, and know what you don't know. And of course, our other shout-out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Go on ahead and visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the mastermind behind the website. His name is Darren, and you can find him on Twitter, at YankeeReport28. And be sure to follow all of Grunt Talks MLB across all social medias, at GruntTalksMLB. Special thanks to our friends over at Grunt Talks MLB and Ball 9 for helping spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees. And also don't forget, guys, that you can help spread the word every week about Yapping Yankees and stay updated on everything with both me and the Yankees by following me on all social medias. Head on over to Facebook and follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero NY. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike Scuds. 97. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and listen to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms that it's available on. And those four platforms would be YouTube. Especially be sure to go subscribe there if you haven't already. That channel continues to grow, so be sure to hit that subscribe button over there on YouTube if you haven't already for sure. But also be sure to show your support over on the other three platforms, and that would be SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Alright, newcomers, long-timers, and everyone in between, welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 76. Hope you've all had at least a decent week in light of all that's going on out there, depending on where you live, of course. COVID is spiking again lately. It's heartbreaking to hear about the rapid increases in hospitalizations, people dying, of course. It's just horrible. That second wave is definitely here, I'd say. And in New York, specifically in the city and the five boroughs, they're closing indoor dining again for restaurants and bars starting tomorrow. And it's just so awful. All these places, these small businesses too, they can't handle another shutdown like this. They just can't. So many already shut down for good with the first shutdown. They're gone forever. And this one will probably bury most of or all of the rest. And I truly don't know how the boroughs will ever come back. All of these places, though, especially the restaurants, have gotten so creative and have done all they can these last few months with outdoor dining, which obviously is no longer possible in the winter weather, plexiglass in between people at the bars, having certain tables unavailable to enforce distancing, servers and all staff wearing masks all day long. And now, after all of that, they're having it taken away all over again. 
And on top of that, they've still gotten pretty much no help at all from the government. Shame on them and all of those politicians. I always say that. Shame on all of them. I couldn't give a crap less which party they belong to. Shame on them. I could go on forever about all of this, but I won't. I could spend an entire episode on all of it. Just dedicate an entire show to discussion about this whole thing, but I won't. Just help support these places as best as you can when you can. Small businesses, restaurants, and so on. These people who have these businesses, it's their livelihood. Some of them for decades. Support them as best as you can. My heart shatters for all of them. My thoughts and prayers go out to all of you small business owners and workers out there. You know who you are. This virus is serious and very dangerous, and we need to do all we can to stay safe. But the deaths of these small businesses are tragic too, and they need help. So thoughts and prayers to all of you. And of course, as far as the virus itself is concerned, I hope you're all staying safe regardless of where you live. This world right now, I just... <laughs> I just really don't know anymore. I really don't. Just gotta help each other any way we can, and just be kind. Remember what's important. If this disaster called 2020 has taught us anything at all, it's that. Just remember what's important, be kind to one another, and we all need to help each other as best as we possibly can. So, again, all of that can be an entire show on its own. So, while it's important to address that stuff, ultimately, that's not why we're here. So, what do you say we get into some Yankees talk from this past week, huh? On the docket for today, for our social media segment, we actually have a Q&A today. You give me the questions for this week, and you had a chance to do so, of course, yesterday on my Twitter and in my Instagram DMs too, if you saw the Q&A notice on my Instagram story, which is where I put the social media segments for Instagram every Saturday, as you know. So, we'll do the Q&A shortly. We've done it once or twice in the past, so it should be fun. Then we'll discuss some things that happened this past week in Yankees news. The winter meetings were this past week. I mentioned at the end of last week's episode that it was coming up the next day on Monday, and they went from then until Thursday, all virtual in the whole nine yards. And the Yankees, well, they basically did nothing. <laughs> I'll explain why I say basically in a second. But I didn't expect anything to really happen, so it wasn't a surprise. But there were still some rumors, some whispers that I'll briefly go through with you. They did make a signing, though. And that's why I said basically earlier, because it was very small scale... Interesting to say the least, very out of the blue, very random, and only even known of from a social media post by the player. So I'll mention who it was to you later. But with the rumors the Yankees were a part of, there were discussions having to do with potential trade talks with the Pirates. I'll also tell you what that was about later on, and just who the Yankees were rumored to be showing some interest in on the Pirates. As far as the winter meetings overall, other signings and trades happened in the winter meetings elsewhere. I'll just tell you about those quickly right now, like Lance Lynn being traded to the White Sox, so his name is knocked out of discussions now. Adam Eaton had a reunion with the White Sox on a one-year, $8 million deal, so he's headed back to Chicago. Carlos Santana, formerly of the Indians, who are definitely unloading on payroll, as they said they would, signed a two-year deal with the Royals. The Royals! It's not a massive contract, it's worth $17.5 million over two years. But still, a small market team getting someone like Santana in these times that teams say they lost money from the pandemic, and a small market team like them is making moves. Go figure. <laughs> so, some things happened, I guess. Not much, but a couple of things. And I don't know how much more teams like the White Sox and the Royals will be doing for the rest of the offseason moving forward, but they jumped out first in the winter meetings before anybody else did this whole offseason so far. So, that's really all that happened in the winter meetings. Again, not much, but a couple of things. Also, some awards were given out to players for their respective positions on the All-MLB teams, and two Yankees were chosen, one for the first All-MLB team and one for the second team. And for those who don't really know what the All-MLB teams thing is, it's just another honor for players who had great seasons, and they put together a team on paper of the best players at each position based on their performance during the season, and it's a nice little honor to get. So I'll tell you those Yankees who were chosen later on quickly in Yankees news too, and Brian Cashman had some thoughts on the current state of affairs with the team. He addressed things like DJ, Glaber, Gary, and I'll give you all the details about what he said about all of that and my thoughts on all of it. So some cool stuff to go through in Yankees news from this past week. But first, let's not waste any time and dive right into this week's social media segment, which again is a Q&A. Question and answer. You guys ask the questions. We'll begin on Twitter as always. We got a good amount of questions that came in and I selected 
did 10 to read, but if I'm doing good on time, I'll try to get a couple more in. So we'll see how we're doing on time. And obviously, just as a reminder, if you want to see these questions for yourself, especially the ones that I don't get to, which, as it happens every week, there will be certain people that I do not get to. So many people just interact on the social media interaction segments every week, and I usually can't get to everybody as much as I would like to. But if you do want to see the ones that I do not get to for yourself, or just even all of the comments overall, you could obviously head on over to my Twitter page. My Twitter is at Mike Scudero. If you just scroll down on my profile, you'll obviously find the Q&A tweet, and you can view all of the questions that were submitted in the comments of the tweet. And that holds true for every social media segment every single week, whether it be a poll, an open-ended question, or a Q&A like we're doing today. If you want to see the comments in the tweet, then just head on over to my Twitter page, again, at Mike Scudero. The tweet should be there on my page for every social media interaction segment every week for the podcast every Saturday. And also, of course, while you're at it, if you don't already follow me on Twitter, be sure to give me a follow as well. As far as Instagram, you know that I put all of my social media interactions every Saturday on my Instagram story, and unfortunately, not only do those go away after 24 hours, but all of the responses submitted on Instagram obviously are in my DMs, and obviously you do not have access to my DMs, or at least I hope not, so <laughs> you unfortunately can't view that on Instagram. But if you want to view the comments submitted on Twitter for the social media interactions every week, every Saturday, then be sure to head over to my Twitter, and you can find the tweets every Saturday for the social media interactions on my Twitter page. Okay, let's get going with this Q&A. As I said, depending on time, we'll do about maybe 10 on Twitter, and then I'll just read a couple over on Instagram. But we'll see how we're doing on time when it comes to getting to possibly more than 10 here on Twitter. I expect a lot of DJ questions. <laughs> All right, let's get started. First up here on Twitter, we have at FlashRise013, and their question was, with the Mets on the verge of signing James McCann, how much pressure is on the Yankees to reshape their roster? Because the Mets look like a team that could compete while the Yankees still haven't addressed the important issues like pitching, contact hitting, and re-signing DJ. Okay, lots to unpack here. So first of all, James McCann, actually his deal is pretty much official with the Mets. The four-year, $40 million contract, I think it was. And he seems to be signed there and good for the Mets. That's a good amount of money for that contract. Very team-friendly. And for that good amount of money, and four years is pretty safe, they're going to get a catcher that's pretty solid in all aspects of his game. He's good defensively. He's good offensively. Probably the next best option and most realistic option after JT Realmuto, who I did not see coming to either of the New York teams so that didn't surprise me. And I just think that's a really good deal for the Mets, so good for them. But you know what? The Mets still have more work to do. They still have their eyes on George Springer. They're definitely still interested in him. They could even get Trevor Bauer, who throughout the winter meetings was a lot of talk that they'll get either Springer or Bauer. They could definitely use George Springer as a great addition to the outfield and, of course, also as a force to be reckoned with offensively in the lineup. And although they already signed Trevor May for the bullpen, they could definitely use another arm out there or two in the bullpen. It's been a lot of years that the Mets have had bullpen issues. But the point is, the Mets did definitely take a step towards improvement with the signing of McCann, but they still have more work to do. They also have to hope that guys like Pete Alonso, guys who really slumped in the 2020 season, granted again it was the season that it was, but if guys like Alonso don't perform, who are supposed to be massive offensive presences in that lineup, then that severely hurts them too, so they have to hope that anybody who was in a massive slump throughout the 2020 shortened season like Alonso bounces back next year. Even with their rotation, with Jacob deGrom really being the big dog in that rotation, obviously Noah Syndergaard is still recovering from Tommy John surgery. They got Marcus Stroman back after he accepted his qualifying offer, but Marcus Stroman isn't beyond dominating or anything, so they have some rotation concerns too. So again, what I'm trying to say is even though McCann was definitely a step in the right direction for the Mets, they still have work to do, and that was just me scratching the surface a little bit. I could get a little bit more in depth, but I did want to talk about the Mets there a little bit since you mentioned them, but I also don't want to spend 20 minutes on them. But when it comes to the Yankees, yeah, they've been idle so far. It's basically the middle of December, and we're still waiting to see what they're going to do in light of them announcing that they want to cut payroll to under 210, and then them saying that they might go a little bit over that, but how much if they were to? Not really sure about that. Really no way of telling unless they actually do it. Of course, as you say, and as I'm probably going to hear a lot in this Q&A with DJ questions and concerns, there are lots of reports out there, and there is word that the two sides are still far apart from each other, about $25 million, give or take, apart. We know it's been a while now that they haven't agreed on the amount of years on the deal yet. Of course, it also depends, too, on the other teams that may be interested in him and what they offer him. Because DJ's pushing for five years, give or take $100 million, it sounds like. And the Yankees are trying to stand their ground a little bit, but if another team offers that to him, and if they really want him back as much as they say they do, then they're going to have to match that. 
and they might have to move past their four years and maybe give that fifth year or maybe go from that 85 to 90 million to that 100 million. I don't know. We're going to have to see. It all depends on negotiations. It's a big game and it could be tricky. It could go on for a long time like this has so far. And a lot of people are starting to lose patience if they haven't already. But I'm still trying to be patient with DJ and remain confident that he'll be back. But of course, admittedly, I still hope that that gets done sooner rather than later. As far as pitching and contact hitting, well, yeah, the pitching, they still have a decision on what they want to do with Tanaka, for instance, or if they maybe want to go out in the market and get somebody else. Lance Lynn is, of course, as I mentioned before, since he was traded to the White Sox, out of the discussion. Trevor Bauer's still out there, and as much as I would like him in pinstripes, see how he does here. And I've said this already, but I really don't see him coming here. And as far as hitting, there really hasn't been much interest in that forefront when it comes to the Yankees and what they've been interested in this offseason so far. Probably the most interest we've heard them have having in any hitter is one of the two guys that was involved in the discussion with the Pirates that I'm going to be telling you about later on in Yankees news. So, I don't know. Things right now are obviously very slow for the Yankees, as I said they probably would be for most of the offseason. So, while I still expected them to make a move or two, maybe, the stillness of this offseason is not a surprise to me. They've said that DJ is their priority to bring back, and nothing's happened in that arena yet because of the fact that they're still reportedly pretty far apart as far as negotiations. And who knows if they would wait to make any other moves until that situation is resolved. We really don't know what's going on. So, yes, to wrap up my long answer to this question, question. I'll say yes, the Mets definitely did take a step in the right direction, and I couldn't be happier for my Met fan friends out there about how excited they are about Steve Cohen being the owner, and really seemingly at the very least, throwing his hat in on many different players, and I think this signing of McCann was a really good move, both for the team financially, and to properly address the team's needs at catcher, which they've had needs there for a lot of years, the Mets. And I think James McCann is a very respectable option. So as of now, in what has been expectedly a very slow offseason. Good for them having that be their first move, but as for the rest of the offseason, we obviously know that because of the pandemic and as Major League Baseball says, the financial aftermath of it, that this is an offseason like never before, especially with free agency. And we're going to have to see what the Yankees do, both with DJ as negotiations continue. Again, negotiations can be long. They can be tricky. We'll see what they do about the payroll that they would like to stay under at 210, and if they're basically putting any other moves that they would like to make on hold until the DJ negotiations are resolved. So, long story story long, I would probably say that, yeah, I would say that there has been at least a little bit more pressure on the Yankees in general since Steve Cohen became the owner, because there is naturally a lot of discussion in general around the Mets because they finally have an owner that's going to be willing to spend money and in the right areas. And that naturally got people talking about the Mets a little bit, and the fact that they did make this move with James McCann a very healthy first move for the Mets all around. Yeah, I mean, maybe it puts a tiny bit of pressure on the Yankees, but again, I really thought that there was at least a little bit of pressure already on the Yankees because of the general discussion surrounding the Mets when Steve Cohen became the owner in the first place. So maybe a little bit of pressure. I don't really know. It's not an enormous amount, I don't think. The Yankees will operate as they wish. They'll do what they do. All right, I spent a lot of time on that answer. Let's keep going. And I do hope that I answered that question to your liking after all of that. I tried to give as big of an explanation as I possibly could. But up next is at MountainGal456, my good friend Tina. And Tina asks, I know everyone will be asking when will the Yankees sign DJ, but what if they don't sign him? What players are on the Yankees' radar? That's a good question. Well, first of all, if they don't sign him, that would be catastrophic because, of course, you'd be losing that bat, which has been vital to the Yankees lineup for a couple of years now, it goes without saying. You can't put into words how important DJ has been to this team in all aspects of his gameplay, but even especially in the lineup, the balance he created in that lineup. Driving in runs, getting on base all the time, mostly from just non-stop hitting, even supplying that occasional power, almost always coming through in big situations. I mean, we've spoken about DJ so much since he's become a Yankee, so, so much. Not much more can be said than I've already said, but you know that if you've watched even a minute of Yankees baseball the last two seasons, you know how important DJ has been to this team with offense, and you know what, even with defense. You would also be losing gold glove defense in an infield that has really struggled defensively, especially in the 2020 shortened season. Take DJ out of the equation here, and the only really solid defense you 
have in the infield is Geo, so you'd be losing that too, so it'd be catastrophic. I've spoken about time and time again how I just think the Yankees simply cannot afford to lose DJ. But who else would be on their radar? I mean, of course, people have spoken about trading for Lindor and then extending him, so people have brought up Lindor. I've even heard some people maybe even mention a Trevor Story, and of course, you would get both of those guys to play their natural positions at shortstop, and then you'd shift Glaber back over to second, so I've heard people throw those guys around as potential options, and obviously I should also mention since there are a lot of Yankee fans that miss him and love him to death, Didi Gregorius is out on the market as a free agent since he had only signed a one-year contract with the Phillies prior to the 2020 season, and of course that one year is now up, so he's a free agent, so some Yankee fans may even want a reunion with Didi, so those are some options for you, I guess. But of course, you don't even want to have to look to that or even think about it because it's hard to imagine DJ not coming back, and again, losing him would just be catastrophic if you ask me. Okay, next question comes from at Laker 477 and they ask, what is your all-time greatest Yankees moment or memory? Oof, this is a tough one. I've seen a few in my day. I have seen a few. I've been a fan since 2007, late 2007 or 2008-ish, so I've seen a good amount. Mariano's 500th and 600th save, Derek Jeter's 3,000th hit, and just so you know, I saw those on TV. I wasn't there live for any of those. But I was in person for Aaron Judge hitting his 495-foot home run. I was there in person for that. It was one of the most tremendous things I have ever seen. So I was at the stadium to see that for myself. I also saw in person, and regardless of how you feel about the guy, I did see A-Rod's 3,000th hit the opposite field home run, and that was pretty incredible to witness too. So I've seen quite a bit, and there are a lot more that are probably just not coming to me in this very moment, but the most incredible, I would have to say the 2009 championship. Of all of those things, and probably even more things that I'm forgetting at this very time, I would definitely have to say the 2009 championship. You play to win, you want your team to win, and seeing them win the World Series in 2009 was just incredible. I loved the 2009 team, I could not be happier that they won, and I will never forget seeing them win that championship. It was just amazing. It was amazing. So despite me seeing lots of cool things over the years that I've been a fan, I'm gonna go with the 2009 title. Next is Rebecca at Peace Now for Life, and Rebecca asks, when and why did you become a Yankees fan? And oh yeah, are we going to get another starter? And if so, who are you thinking? Okay, so when and why did I become a Yankee fan? I've actually told this story before. I became a Yankee fan in like late 07, started to follow them closer in 2008 after, believe it or not, and I've admitted this before, in the first half of my life, give or take, maybe about the first 10 years of my life, I've said this, I hated sports with a passion. I just thought they were so stupid. I don't know what my younger self was thinking, but I just hated sports back then. And my dad's side of the family were Met fans, especially my grandfather. They tried to take me to a ton of Met games at Shea Stadium when I was younger, and I just wasn't into it. I wonder why, but anyway... I couldn't help myself there. But anyway, in 2007 and 2008, I was taken to my first Yankee game in the old stadium, so towards the very end of the old stadium's time. And upon walking in, I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the Yankees and everything about them, and the rest was history. But you guys even know, and this still holds true to this day, obviously, not only am I a diehard Yankee fan, but when I got into baseball, I also just became a baseball fan. I fell in love with the game, too. So that's when it happened, why it happened, and I couldn't be happier that it played out that way. Although I wish I became a fan when I was a bit younger and I really had an appreciation for sports when I was younger. I do wish that were the case, but hey, it happened the way it happened. There's nothing I could do. I'm glad it happened at all. And I've still been a fan for a good amount of years, of course. So that was the shorter, quicker version of that story. I've told it before plenty of times. It's a nice memory for me to look back on, especially given the fact that now my grandfather happened to have passed away. And even when I wasn't into baseball, I used to always sit down and watch the Met games with him because he used to always have the Met game on, obviously. My grandfather was an old-time Brooklyn Dodger fan, and he couldn't stand the Yankees. And you could easily have a conversation with him about the Yankees. He wasn't one of those insufferable fans that hated the Yankees so much that you couldn't even afford to have a conversation with him. He was a very good baseball fan to talk to. But also, of course, he still couldn't stand the Yankees. So when the Mets came to town, he became a Met fan, and obviously stayed a Met fan all the way up until he passed away in early 2019, at the beginning of last year. So even though I wasn't into sports yet at the time, I have memories throughout my entire childhood of walking into the TV room at my grandparents' house, and my grandfather would have the Mets on. And so I still saw baseball over the years, even though I wasn't immediately into it until I went to Yankee Stadium for the first times in 2007 and 2008. But he was still definitely an influence on me becoming a baseball fan. A huge influence. So those are good times for me to look back on. 
That also happens to be the reason why I have a big soft spot for the Mets because of my grandfather. That's why I could never just have an undying hatred for the Mets. I just can't. I have a soft spot for them because of him. And that's why I'm happy for them over their new ownership with Steve Cohen because they finally have an owner that gives a crap about the team and will do what it takes for them to be winners. So yes, that's the story for me becoming not only a Yankees fan, but just a baseball fan overall. As far as getting another starter, I do see the Yankees getting another starter. Who it will be, nobody's really sure, obviously, because not only in light of the things that Cashman said or didn't say this past week whenever Tanaka was mentioned, but in general, you're just getting that vibe for the Yankees that Tanaka may be a casualty as a result of the Yankees being more careful of their spending money this offseason. They might not bring him back, and that really stings a little bit because as I've said in the past, Tanaka has his flaws. He does. We know that. But he is durable. He's reliable. He's there when the entire team is busted up and injured. He labors even when he doesn't have his stuff and he gives it his all. He's such an elite competitor. And whether he's got necessarily his best stuff or not, in a rotation that as of now, if he's not brought back, will have lots of question marks outside of Garrett Cole in it come next year, Tanaka is a tough kind of guy to lose. So if they don't re-sign Tanaka, then they do have guys like Trevor Bauer out there. There obviously is also the second guy that was involved in the talks with the Pirates that, again, we will get to later. So maybe it's one or the other. Again, I would like Trevor Bauer to come here to the Yankees. I think he'd be a solid two behind Garrett Cole. And speaking of Garrett Cole, right away, really quick, I just wanted to mention quickly that this past Thursday the 10th was the one-year anniversary since the Yankees signed Garrett Cole, and I just wanted to wish you all a happy Garrett Cole day. But anyway, as I was saying, I do think Bauer would be a solid number two behind Cole, but while I think that, I just just don't see it happening. I would be very pleasantly surprised if it did. Again, they also have the guy from the Pirates as an option, which I'm not mentioning his name right now because I want to talk about him a little bit later on in news. Corey Kluber's also out there, but of course he's also a bit of an injury risk, but lately not many people on the Yankees overall are not injury risks. So maybe in that sense with Kluber, they'd be willing to roll the dice a little bit. I don't know. So those are some names thrown out there for you. But in these times, it really is tough to get a feel for what the Yankees are going to do going forward. A lot of it depends on what happens or doesn't happen with DJ again with the negotiations, the payroll. It's just a lot of things are contingent on other things, in other words. It's really tough to get a gauge on much of anything nowadays, of course, in this unprecedented offseason. All right, next question comes from at Andrew Caruso 77, and he says, will the Yankees trade for an arm at the deadline? The deadline of next year? I, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of that depends on what happens this offseason, honestly. Let's get through this offseason first. I'm not really sure about the deadline. Nobody really would be. It's not really what anybody's thinking about right now. Let's get through the offseason and see what the Yankees do right now first, because what they do or don't do in the offseason may be a pretty big indicator as to what they would need to address in next year's deadline. Not to mention, we don't even really know what's going to happen next season with the schedule based on what happens with the virus and everything. So there's a lot that needs to happen before anybody even thinks about the deadline. So let's just hang tight on that. <laughs> All right, up next after Andrew is at Laura underscore Icemont, my good friend Laura, and she asks, in regards to pitching, should the Yankees focus on getting another starter or another reliever? Well, the Yankees could really afford to get both, honestly, if you ask me. They really could afford to make improvements in both areas, but with the bullpen, you could at least say that the Yankees still have pretty good options out there at the back end of the bullpen, to say the least and that could keep you a little bit comfortable. Chad Green is expected to return. Of course, the Yankees just extended Zach Britton. You still have him out there. Aroldis Chapman is out there. So they do still definitely have their solid arms out there in the pen. But with the bullpen, there is a big name out there by the name of Archie Bradley that many of you know about. He was discussion at the 2020 deadline. And even about a week or two ago, he posted something on social media that got Yankee fans talking a lot. He posted a picture of himself wearing a CC Sabathia jersey, and a lot of people were like, that's it, bring him over to New York. <laughs> And I would be okay with Archie Bradley coming here. He's a pretty solid reliever. I think he'd fit in nicely out there in the bullpen. But while that's true, I definitely do think that, obviously, as I've voiced here on the show too many times in weeks past, that the Yankees' biggest concern needs to be starting pitching. So I'm picking starting pitching for your question, Laura. We've gone over the 2021 projected Yankees rotation many times in the last few weeks, basically since the offseason started, and especially since they put this graphic up on the Yes Network too. They showed what the Yankees' rotation would look like next year if Tanaka weren't to return. Of course, Garrett Cole would be at one, Luis Severino would be at two, and that's somebody that's not even going to be there at the beginning of the season, probably won't be a factor until the second half with his Tommy John surgery recovery. Then you have Montgomery, Davey Garcia, and Clark Schmidt. And you do have Herman too, but it's also tough to believe in him because obviously what has happened in his personal life, which is obviously why we haven't seen him to this point. And in all of that time missed, he has not been on a major league mound and faced 
increased live hitting in all of that time for the back end of 2019 and all of 2020. So who knows if he'll be the same after being off a mound for so long. So again, that's another question mark. That's a lot of question marks. Very, very uncertain after Garrett Cole there. So yes, the area that definitely needs more addressing is the Yankees starting rotation, no doubt. Because like it or not, even though the Yankees could maybe use an improvement or two out there in the bullpen, you still have a couple of names out there that still have you feeling comfortable. With this scenario, everybody outside of Garrett Cole is basically a question mark and really tough to bet on. We've spoken about this a ton in past weeks, so go listen back to the last few episodes of Yapping Yankees if you didn't listen to it. But I've done a lot of in-depth analysis on the Yankees starting pitching discussion, and they need help with starting pitching. They need a lot of it. So again, if it were between the starting pitching or the bullpen, Laura, I'm definitely picking starting pitching as being a much bigger priority. Next question comes from at BobbyTat631, and Bobby asks, between Schmidt, King, and Montgomery, who has the best value in the trade market? I would definitely say Montgomery. He's got the most major league experience, and even though he had been inconsistent throughout the 2020 season, he had a very good ending to it in Game 4 of the playoffs. Of course, it also doesn't help him that he's had Tommy John surgery, and since the surgery, he hasn't really been the same consistent pitcher that he was beforehand, but everybody is obviously much more familiar with his stuff. They know that he has the capability of being a very good left-handed pitcher, and he's got the most major league experience of those three names, so I would definitely say Montgomery. Again, Davey had a fantastic 2020 season, but it was a very weird and short season. He's very, very young in his very early 20s. Who knows if he could repeat that? especially in a regular, full, or maybe even almost full season, depending on what happens with the 2021 schedule, with what happens with the virus and the vaccine and all of that. And Clark Schmidt, of course, although he has a lot of promise, we do know that although it wasn't under the best of circumstances, to say the least, he had a rough debut, and in the very few outings he had, he really struggled towards the end of the 2020 season when he was finally given a chance on the Major League roster, and the Yankees themselves said that he may need just a bit more development, a bit more time before he's fully ready. So there are uncertainties there, and there are some uncertainties at such young age and having the season being what it was in 2020 for Davey Garcia too. Uncertainties for both guys. But Montgomery has definitely had his moments throughout his time in the major leagues where he's proven that he's had the stuff that could bring him much success as a major league pitcher. He has the most experience, the most time, and the most proven major league ability of those three names. So again, I'm going with Montgomery. Next question comes from at Helen Boy and he says, is it even feasible that we sign Bauer? Well, you guys know that I would like Bauer on this team by now, but no, I don't think it's going to happen. I do not think that we see Trevor Bauer in a Yankee uniform, whether it be from cost, because the Yankees are trying to cut payroll, or because they don't really think that his personality would fit here. I just don't see the Yankees going down that road. I'd be very pleasantly surprised if they did, as I said, but I don't see it happening. Of course, anything is possible, and I could be wrong, but I personally do not see it happening. But of course, as we've said, because they are the New York Yankees, it would be really unfortunate if money is the only reason that separates them from getting a guy like Bauer who could really help them in an area where they really need improvements, the starting rotation. Because as we know, of course, nobody is going to feel bad for the Yankees when it comes to financials. But no, I do not see Bauer in a Yankee uniform. At Julian Giarty one says, when will we finally have an answer with DJ? Here's the DJ question I was waiting for. <laughs> Honestly, I'm surprised it took this long to really get to the straight up DJ question like this. But obviously, this is really the question on many people's minds. Basically, everybody, when will this end? But I don't really know when we're going to get an answer about this DJ situation finally. I don't think anybody knows, really. It just depends on how the negotiations continue to go. But with the way the Yankees are doing things with this whole thing, and with DJ seemingly sticking to his guns, at least for now, this could very well go into January. I really wouldn't be surprised if it did. So right now, I'm going to say maybe early-ish January this gets resolved. So it might still be a bit of time. We've heard the reports for a couple of days now and even again today that the two sides are just still pretty far apart. As much as $25 million apart and I still don't think they're agreeing on the years either. Yankees are standing firm with the four years and DJ seems to be doing the same with the five years. And of course this all depends on what he gets offered on the market elsewhere too so I don't know this could continue to go on. And of course, for most people, the more it goes on, the more afraid they get that he might not come back. And sure, my own patience on the subject of DJ is less on certain days than it is on others. The thought of him leaving is a scary thought to a lot of us. But I think this could go on for a while longer. Maybe give or take about a month, so I'll stick with that. I think this goes on for a few more weeks. Some people think it'll be sooner, and by all means, I hope they're right. (laughs) I don't want my answer to be correct and have this go on for a while longer. I want those people saying that, oh, it'll be resolved by next week. I want them to be right. So by all means, I hope I'm wrong. (laughs) 
<laughs> I really do hope I am, but I don't know. I just, I see it going at least a few more weeks, but we'll see. It's really tough to predict things this offseason. It really, really is. It's tough to get a feel on certain things. Next question comes from at Ange NY Yankee Girl, and she says, what happens if we don't sign DJ? What's the plan? Well, I got a similar question before, and I'll reiterate what I said, basically. There are other options out there, all of which would basically see Glaber shift back to second base, in which case you could trade for Lindor and then extend him. That would probably be a lot of money, but that's an option. People have thrown around Trevor's story. D.D. Gregorius is still a free agent out there, and I know a lot of Yankee fans love and miss him, so maybe the Yankees would be up for a reunion with D.D. I don't know. So there are other options out there, but it's tough. As I said, it's tough to get a feel on things this offseason, but I did get one thing right so far, and that is my prediction that it would be a quiet offseason because so far that prediction could not be more true. So I'll give myself a pat on the back for that. <laughs> All right, the next question comes from at PhilU916, and they ask, does Cashman seriously believe that Herman and Seve, who have not pitched in two years in the majors, are legit two starting pitchers, hence will make zero moves, and Cole is the one, and the rest of the rotation is just based on hopes by Cashman? Well, yeah, that's the issue that I've raised a lot here on the show whenever we've spoken about the 2021 projected Yankees rotation. How many question marks there are outside of Garrett Cole if the Yankees are not to bring back Masahiro Tanaka? And as I said, the starting pitching outside of getting DJ LeMayhew back should really be the top priority. I've said that many times the last few weeks because it's true. Outside of Garrett Cole, there are a lot of question marks, as you've said yourself, specifically with Sevi and Herman. Sevi's not even expected to really be a factor until the second half because he's recovering from his Tommy John surgery. And even when he does come back, I believe in the kid. Sevy's young. He's filled with talent. I really believe in the kid. But it's tough to put all your eggs in a basket for a pitcher who is coming off of Tommy John surgery at the end of the day. It's basically the biggest surgery that a pitcher could get, and so many guys are never the same after it. So you're banking on a lot with Sevy, as we've said. With Herman, outside of all the crap that's gone on in his personal life, you're right. He, too, has not been on a mound facing life hitting in the major leagues in a very long time. Question mark after question mark after question mark. So yeah, if Cashman is trusting a rotation like that, as you say, that's not a very pleasant thought. And that's why I keep on stressing that outside of DJ LeMahieu, the starting rotation is really the top priority for this Yankees team. The Yankees need starters. And going into 2021 with the projected rotation that we've spoken about and the rotation that you speak of, that's a very big risk. So yeah, I too hope, as I voiced in the last few weeks, that the Yankees make the necessary improvements to their rotation because they need them. All right, let's maybe do one or two more questions here on Twitter, and then I'll do a couple over on Instagram. At MD Nelly asks, you have the option of trading Glaber with the guarantee the Yankees will make it to the World Series this year. Not a guarantee they will win it, and no guarantees beyond that. What would you do and why? Hmm. Well, first off, I'll say that the return for Glaber Torres better be astronomical. That's how I'll start my answer to that. And also, because of how young Glaber is, I would hope that whoever is involved in the return is also young so that they could contribute a lot in the future and possibly provide even more championships. So if that were the case, if the guy or guys who were to be in the return portion of the package gave a better chance or equal chance of winning the World Series and provided that ability to do so for many years down the line like Glaber would since he's so young, I guess I'd at least consider it because the point of playing is to win the World Series. So if they gave an equal chance or a better chance, and for as many years as Glaber could, since again, he's so young, then I'd at least consider it. But again, that's a tough question to answer because a lot would go into that. How much would they get back? Specifically, who would they get back? And with Glaber's young age, do they have that talent and the ability to keep me competitive and give me that equal or even more of a chance to win the World Series for years down the line? Because that's something Glaber gives you with his young age, too. How good are they defensively? Glaber's not fantastic at defense, regardless of whether he's at second or shortstop. He's better at second than he is at short. We've established that, but it's not an astronomical difference. But is the guy or are the guys in the return better than him defensively while also being as talented or maybe even more talented offensively than Glaber? So a lot of things would depend. That's a tough question because that massively depends on who they get back. We've said this many times before. The goal of this whole thing is to win the World Series. Getting there is great, but when you get there, 
you want to win it. So if whoever is to come back in the deal gives the Yankees an equal opportunity to win the World Series next year, but would also be a major factor many years down the line at a young age like Glaber, which it's rare to find a lot of kids as young as Glaber out there with the talent that Glaber has, then I guess I would think about it. (laughs) Because the goal is to win the World Series, and whoever gives you that chance the best, that's who you go with, of course. All right, let's do one more. We'll finish up with at Eric Sundari, and Eric asks, after signing DJ LeMahieu, who should be the Yankees' top target? Well, in my opinion, anybody in the starting pitching arena, because as I've said, outside of re-signing DJ, the top priority for this Yankees team needs to be making the necessary improvements to the starting rotation. So any starting pitcher that the Yankees claim would be able to fit in their budget, likely after re-signing or not re-signing DJ. But of course, you said after re-signing DJ, so if they were to re-sign him, they're budget might be a bit tighter because they will have paid DJ, of course. And as far as starting pitchers out there, I threw out a couple of names already. Bowers out there, the one who the Yankees were showing some interest in with the Pirates, Kluber's out there, so you got some names out there. But regardless of who the specific target is, if the Yankees are to resign DJ, obviously, the next target in general for the Yankees needs to be a starting pitcher. And with that said, That's all the questions I'm going to be taking from Twitter. Again, as always, I am so sorry to those who I did not get to. Just keep on replying for the social media segments every week on Twitter. I will try to get to you every week, as I always do. I always try to get to as many people as I possibly can. And again, as I said before, if you want to see the questions for yourself, especially the ones that I did not get to, just head on over to my Twitter page, at Mike Scudero, and the Q&A tweet, of course, is right there on my timeline, so just scroll down and look for it. So let's head on over to Instagram. I'm only going to read out and answer a couple of questions from there. We got a decent amount, but I'm only going to read out a couple of them. The first question I'm going to read is from my girlfriend, Vic Salimo, and Vic asks, if the Yankees re-sign DJ, how much do you think they should offer him? Well, as of now, the way negotiations are going at this moment, it really does seem like from reports that DJ's side is really sticking with that five years around 100 million, and the Yankees are trying to stick with those four years, maybe 80 to 90 million, maybe less than that, and DJ's probably still fielding offers from other organizations that may be interested in him, seeing what they're throwing his way. So a lot is seemingly going on behind the scenes right now, and a lot of it could depend on that. But you know that I've said that I think losing DJ would be catastrophic. And I know, Vic, that you, as the biggest DJ lover on the planet, definitely agree with that. So depending on what other offers are, and obviously seeing if a middle ground can't be reached, and in the end, if it just came down to what DJ wants and it's just take it or leave it, then again, as I've said for the last few weeks, and I'm going to be consistent with this opinion, it really is hard to impossible to sympathize with the Yankees financially. It just really is. And if there's anybody who has earned it, than DJ has. I just give him what he wants. I know that some people say that that could definitely have an outcome on other negotiation processes, and it could have a ripple effect in free agency, but to me, this is a special case. DJ is a special player who has earned the right to ask for what he's asking for. And if it was just take it or leave it, ultimately, at the very end, his way or the highway, especially if other teams are offering better, then if I'm the Yankees, then that would ultimately force my hand. So of course, as I've said, there are a lot of factors at work here, but if it came down to that, I guess that's what I would do. All right, and last but not least, let's finish up with my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and my mom asks, do you think we will have a regular 2021 season, and do you think they'll allow some fans in the stadium like they did in the World Series? As much as I'd love to answer that question for you, Mom, there just really is no answer for that right now. There really isn't. A lot of it depends on what happens with the vaccine going forward, how COVID cases continue to spike or not spike in certain states throughout the country, what guidelines and restrictions the government puts on each individual state as a result of all of this. There are just, again, like there are with the DJ negotiations, but just in a different way, there are a lot of moving parts here. So unfortunately, that's basically impossible to answer as of now. And with that being Being said, depending on how these things go, it could result in maybe the start date of the 2021 season being pushed back a little bit or not. I hope with every ounce of my being that it's a regular 162-game season like we know of. Normal 162 games from the first week of April to the last week of September, maybe a couple of days into October, give or take. At least maybe a limited capacity like they did in the World Series, for example, as you mentioned. Even if they have to enforce certain guidelines, distancing, mask wearing, or if people are sitting at the bar in the suites, they put the plexiglass up in between the people. Just, I hope it could be as close to normal as possible, if not completely normal. But at this time, to predict what it is, 
is. I just hate to leave you on a cliffhanger like this, but that's at this time virtually impossible to answer. But I will be alongside you and all of the others just praying that the 2021 season is as close to normal as possible, if not completely normal. But guys, that is all for the Q&A for this week's social media segment. I want to thank each and every one of you who submitted a question, whether I got to you or not. For those who I didn't get to, you know the deal. Just keep on replying to the social media segments every week, every Saturday on Twitter and Instagram. But as it is each week, guys, it was great hearing from all of you. Great, great questions. And as I also said before, if you want to take a look at the questions for yourself, then you can go ahead and find the Q&A tweet over on my Twitter, at Mike Scudero. Just scroll on down to my tweets from Saturday, and you will find the Q&A tweet and all of the questions in the comments under it. But let's keep on going, guys, because we got some Yankees news to talk about. First up, I'll tell you about those rumors that were going down during the winter meetings between the Yankees and the Pirates. Now, I mentioned this earlier in the show when I was teasing for what's ahead for the rest of the show, and I made a couple of mentions of it in my answers to some of your questions in the Q&A segment that there were some rumors and whispers flying around during the winter meetings that the Yankees were talking to the Pirates about a potential trade involving two Pirates players. Now, we don't know what the Yankees would have given back to the Pirates in return for it, hopefully not too much, and you'll understand when I tell you the two names on the Pirates end right now, because the two names were their first baseman, Josh Bell, and their starting pitcher just coming off of Tommy John surgery, Jameson Tyon. Tyon, Tyon, pretty weird last name, but those were the two names that were being associated with the Yankees in these rumored trade discussions. Now, I don't know, there was just something when I was looking at this, there was something that just really didn't excite me too much about this possible trade. With Jamison Tyon specifically, he's had himself some good years and he's got really solid pitches in his arsenal. But again, he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. And while I'm pretty sure he would be available before Seve, I mean, we already have somebody on the team in Severino that's just coming off of Tommy John surgery. You really want another pitcher like that? That just creates more uncertainty for me. We already have a pitcher that's coming off of Tommy John surgery in Severino. You want to have another one? Again, although he's not the best option out there, Tyon is not a bad pitcher. But he's not like blow you away the absolute best either. And plus you have the uncertainty of him coming back from Tommy John. Is that something you really want to have to worry about and deal with? Especially if it goes horribly wrong. And the other name, Josh Bell. Josh Bell is a little different. He's had a bit of an on and off career. Very turbulent. He's been in the league since 2016. If you're a high average person, if you really care about batting average, Josh Bell really isn't your guy because the highest batting average he had in a season was in 2019, which also happened to be his best overall season offensively when he batted 277. Not bad at all, but that was his highest. Now in 2016, he didn't play most of the season because he had just come up. He was only 23 years old, but then in 2017, that's when he really started and his career really took off. And he had a pretty good year in 2017. He had 26 home runs, 90 RBIs, 255 average, whatever. 334 OBP, 466 slugging, and an 800 OPS. It was, a, it was a pretty good season. Not horrendous, but definitely not something to shake a stick at either. It was whatever. But also, all things considered, he was only 24 years old. In 2018, in his age 25 season, it took a bit of a dive. 12 home runs, 62 RBIs, 261 average, slight increase from there. 357 on base percentage, a bit of an increase there from 2017. A decrease in slugging by quite a bit, 411 in 2018, only having a 678 OPS. So I think it's definitely safe to say that he took a step down from 2017. Then 2019 was a great year. He really took off in 2019. Definitely the best year of his career so far. 37 home runs, 116 RBIs. He even hit 37 doubles. That's pretty good right there. 277 average, again, his highest batting average, 367 on base percentage, 569 slugging, and a 936 OPS. Really, really good year for Josh Bell in 19. And then last year, weird shortened season and all. You can attribute it to that a little bit, or you could also attribute it to the fact that throughout his young career so far, it seems like he has a good year, then a worse year, then a better year, then a worse year. Through the first few years, there's sort of been that trend. So if that trend holds true, then I guess he should have a pretty good year in 2021. <laughs> of course, it's probably not the case, but just an interesting note. But again, in the shortened 2020 season, he really, really struggled. Eight home runs, 22 RBIs, 226 average, 305 on base percentage, 364 slugging, 669 OPS. Really, really rough season. 
And for 57 games, he also struck out 59 times, which in a shortened season, granted it was a smaller sample size, if you were to have it be like a normal season, I'm pretty sure that would be an uptick in his strikeouts too, which he didn't do a crazy amount of throughout his career either. He is not amongst the guys who strike out 200 times. In fact, the most strikeouts he had in the season was in 2019, which was his best season, and he had 118 strikeouts. As far as his defense over at first, and there's also been games that throughout 2020, when there was a universal DH, the Pirates oftentimes played him as a DH. And prior to that, whenever the Pirates were in an American League ballpark, where of course in that case you could use a DH as a National League team, they usually used Bell as a DH in those times too. But primarily, of course, he's a first baseman. And defensively, a lot of people were always questioning his defense very early in his career, but he really worked hard to improve down there at first, and he did get better. And they always spoke about how hard he worked on that, but then, of late, he has definitely struggled defensively again, and lots of people just called for the Pirates to make him their DH whenever they can, particularly in 2020 when there was a universal DH, and if that continues on in the future, which the league has been saying not to bet on, but if the universal DH goes on in the future, if it remains a thing in future seasons, 2021 and on, then Pirates fans have just said that Josh Bell should become the full-time DH. So with Josh Bell, I already explained my reasoning for not being too big on Tyon coming here, but with Josh Bell, Bell, pun intended, it seems like he's pretty hit and miss. Offensive numbers from season to season are pretty turbulent, even though he has definitely had his good times, not denying that at all, of course, as you just heard me when I was reading through the stats before. And yes, he is a switch hitter, so he could supply some left-handed hitting to the Yankees lineup, which we all know is in desperate need of left-handed hitters. But obviously, as we've also well established on this show in weeks past, the Yankees really don't need somebody who seems like they're on a path to become a designated hitter. And unless they package off Luke Voigt in a trade, whether it be in this one or elsewhere, which it better not be in this one because the Yankees are going to need a lot more back than just Josh Bell and Jamison Tyon if they're going to give Luke Voigt to the Pirates. But unless they package off Luke Voigt here or in another deal elsewhere, then you obviously don't need a first baseman. I mean, you could argue with the defense because Luke Voigt, obviously his strength is not defense. But at this point, neither is Bell's. It's been a big question for some time amongst the Pirates community. So with all of these facts, with both of these names, that's why, honestly, when these trade talks were going around about this potential trade between the Yankees and the Pirates, and again, it was never really said what the Yankees would give back in return. But regardless, those two names of Josh Bell and Jameson Tyon, it didn't really get me excited. And plus, when I heard about it, I just didn't think it was going to happen. And so far, it still has not, of course. The whispers and rumors about it seem to go away pretty quickly. But I just thought I'd mention that to you because even though the Yankees did basically nothing at the winter meetings, there were some whispers and rumors about that happening. And that really started to make its rounds on Wednesday night, which was the third day of the winter meetings. So with that, I guess food for thought. What would you think about that? Would you like to see those guys in the Yankees? And what do you think the Yankees should give back for them? I said it before and I stand by it. I don't think the Yankees return should be massive for those guys. For all the reasons I explained with Josh Bell, especially coming off the kind of 2020 he had. And with already having to worry about Severino, with Tyon, you would have two guys that you'd be worried with how they would do coming off Tommy John surgery. But overall, of course, it would just depend on who they were to give back to the Pirates. And in this situation, I just don't think it warrants that big give a return. But tell me what you think. Message me on social media. If you're listening on YouTube, then comment down below in the comments and tell me what you think about this. But from Wednesday night, that was mainly the discussion having to do with the Yankees and the Pirates rumors. Also from Wednesday, and I also teased this at the beginning of the show, the All-MLB Team Awards. I'll just quickly announce who won for the Yankees. Just for those of you who are curious, I know not many people care about these, but just to mention it on Wednesday night, two Yankees won for the All-MLB Teams, one for the first team and one for the second team. For the first team at second base, DJ LeMay, who won, not a shock there. And then Garrett Cole won, of course, as a pitcher on the second All-MLB Team. So nice little honors there for DJ and Garrett, and congratulations to both of them on their awards honors. And now on to Thursday. Thursday was an eventful day because the only Yankees winter meeting signing took place. Very small scale, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Very random, out of the blue. And I'll tell you who that was in just a moment. The Rule 5 draft also happened. And Brian Cashman also made his announcements at the end of the winter meetings. Basically on the current affairs of the Yankees and basically the most talked about subject 
of the offseason when it comes to the team right now. So we'll start off first with basically what I consider to be the headline of the Rule 5 draft as far as losses for the Yankees and what was probably their biggest one on a day where the Yankees parted ways with some of their bigger prospects. One in particularly would happen to be Kyle Holder, who the Phillies took, so he will be heading to Philadelphia. And we've seen a bit of what Kyle Holder has to offer. Obviously, he's a young infielder. The kid's got talent. He's pretty good. Seen a bit of him in spring training, exhibition games overall, and the kid's got talent. But it looks like his Yankee days, at least for now, are over, and he is headed to Philadelphia. And the Yankees did lose a decent amount of their prospects, but that was really the name that jumped out at me when I saw it. So best of luck to Kyle Holder and all of the prospects that were taken and are going elsewhere. Thursday was an eventful day with everybody anticipating any moves being made on the final day of the winter meetings, and then you also had the Rule 5 draft going on. So there was quite a bit happening. Or at least, I should say, just a lot on people's minds since not too much ended up actually happening when it comes to the winter meetings, beyond what I mentioned to you with the Royals and the White Sox at the beginning of the show. But as I also mentioned before, the Yankees did make a very small-scale signing I would definitely consider it to be. And as I said, it was so random, so out of the blue, and a lot of people were just like, okay, whatever. (laughs) That was really a lot of people's reaction because some people didn't even understand the signing. And on top of that, people really only knew about it because it was announced on the player's Instagram account. And this player would be none other than Nestor Cortez Jr., Now, if you remember Nestor, he was a relief pitcher out in the Yankees' bullpen in 2019. He wasn't very good. He was mainly an innings eater. That was really his job. When they needed innings to be eaten, or they just really needed a guy to go out there and get outs, Nestor Cortez Jr. was frequently the guy that they threw out there in 2019. A lefty out in the bullpen that had some trickery going with his delivery. If you care about relievers' records, his was pretty good. It was 5-1, and one, but other than that, the rest of his stats really were not anything to look at. But even so, it was still his best year nonetheless in the major leagues so far in his young career. He had a 5.67 ERA. And in 66 and two-thirds innings pitched, he gave up 75 hits, 44 runs, 42 of them earned, 16 home runs, and he did have 69 strikeouts, which was more strikeouts than innings pitched. So I guess that's fine, but he really didn't have a good season. Again, his main job was to just eat innings. And now he's back with the Yankees, and I'm just here like, okay... Alright, whatever. I mean, I was really happy for him that the announcement was made on his birthday too, no less, on Thursday. So happy belated birthday to Nestor Cortez Jr. And he really seems genuinely happy and just delighted to be back with the Yankees, and that's all good. But who knows what role he'll have with the Yankees, if any. And it was just so out of the blue. And it was really the only move that the Yankees made in the winter meeting, so that's why I said basically they did nothing. Because they did something, but it was so small scale. And it was just something like, if you blinked, then you missed it. Also, not to mention he had a very brief shortened 2020 with the Seattle Mariners, and it was really, really bad because he got hurt in mid-August and he missed the rest of the shortened season. So he really didn't pitch much at all in the shortened 2020 season, but when he did, he was bad. That's why I said even with those numbers with the Yankees, that was the best year he had in the major league so far in his career. He's been in the league since 2018, started out with the Orioles, barely pitched in that season, but when he did, he also wasn't good that year. But in 2020, he only pitched seven and two-thirds innings before his injury, 12 hits, 14 runs, 13 earned, six home runs, six home runs and just under eight innings pitched, and a 15.26 ERA. So it's whatever, as I said. It's very nice to see how happy Nestor Cortez Jr. is, but who knows what role he'll have with the Yankees. It's not even really clear as to whether it's even a major league deal or a minor league deal. I would imagine it's a minor league deal. Hardly anywhere that even reported on this says whether it specifically is a major league deal or a minor league deal. But again, I would imagine it's a minor league deal. So there's your brief announcement for the Yankees winter meetings move. They got Nestor Cortez Jr. back. And that's basically all there is to say about that. But lastly for today, I just wanted to hit on a couple of comments that Brian Cashman had to say about the current affairs of the Yankees. He hit on a couple of subjects. I'll give you some of the quotes that he had regarding these subjects, and I'll give my thoughts on them really quickly, and then we'll wrap up today's episode. But I really just wanted to address some of the things he said on Thursday in this interview that aired on the Yes Network on Thursday, and I just wanted to give my thoughts on them on today's episode. So the subjects that Cashman addressed, he addressed DJ, he addressed Gary, he kind of didn't even address much of Masahiro Tanaka, which 
if you ask me, isn't really a good sign about his future here in Pinstripes. And he also addressed Glaber Torres, who, by the way, has his birthday today. So happy birthday to Glaber Torres. December 13th, he turns 24 today. And that's crazy. I think I'm exactly three weeks younger than him because I turned 24 on the 3rd. And yeah, that's actually correct because my birthday is three Sundays from today. On January 3rd, I turned 24. So yeah, Glaber's three weeks older than me. Little fun fact for you there, but happy birthday to Glaber. 24 years old. Everybody loves to mention his age. So Glaber is officially 24 years old as of today. I'm sure we will be hearing plenty about that on the national broadcasts this year. So I'll just be the first to say it. <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about the few things that Cashman spoke about. We'll start with the DJ topic. And again, he said these things on an interview that aired on the Yes Network on Thursday. And Cashman said, quote, we'll just have to wait and see. And he also mentioned, of course, that the two sides are continuing to talk and negotiate. He loves playing in New York, loves playing for the Yankees and for our fan base. There's a lot of things in our favor, but ultimately it comes down to the financial opportunity that we provide as it's measured to the financial opportunities others are providing. That's the big unknown. End quote. So yeah, basically what we've been told for weeks on end now. Negotiations are still going on. DJ's probably hearing out other offers, you have to imagine, because there are other teams interested in him, which should come as no surprise whatsoever given what he's done for the Yankees these last two years. And basically just a reiteration of things we already knew. The Yankees would like to have him back. DJ would really love to be back. He thinks the Yankees are a great fit, but it's just the freaking money. <laughs> That's all it ever is. So the negotiations continue on, and as we've heard from reports the last couple of days and even coming into today, we hear that the two sides are still pretty far apart, as much as $25 million apart and probably also not on the same page with the amount of years yet. The Yankees are really adamant with four, and DJ's been asking for five. So yes, while I'm remaining confident that DJ will be back, it's not a guarantee that he will, of course. Anything can happen in free agency, especially in an offseason like this. But the two sides will keep negotiating. That's pretty much the gist we got from that. There has been nothing about this DJ topic to say that hasn't already been said on this show the last few weeks. So that's basically the gist of it, a lot of what we already know. And it depends on the money. Let's hope that these two sides can either find a middle ground, or if the Yankees have to give a little bit more than what they might be willing to at this time, because regardless, DJ has to be back. We know this. He's too important. So that's basically the gist of what Brian Cashman had to say about him. Now, as far as his comments on Glaber Torres, the birthday boy, he talked a little bit about a specific reason why Glaber had a tough 2020. We know that particularly in the beginning of the season, he really could not get going offensively. He heavily struggled. And the whole season with his glove at shortstop, it was just really a rough time for him defensively the entire season. Glaber definitely had his tears offensively throughout the season at some points, particularly at the end. And he really showed signs of the Glaber that we know and love. But defensively all throughout, he really struggled. And especially at the beginning of the season, offensively, he really struggled. And Cashman shed some light as to one of the potential reasons that he may have struggled like that offensively to start the season. And of course, we know that he wasn't healthy all throughout either. He missed some time. And with Glaber, he said, quote, he wasn't in the best shape to start the second spring training on the 4th of July. On his return from the shutdown, we spent a little bit, first half of the season, playing catch-up, maybe in the first 40 or 45 games of the season playing catch-up. Once we got him back online and in shape, we saw towards the last 20 games, including the playoffs, the Glaber Torres we are used to seeing." End quote. And yeah, that sounds right. For about most of the beginning of the season, he really had a tough time, and Cashman said that when he returned for the second spring training, that he wasn't in good shape. Now, it's hard to blame these guys. Probably a lot of guys experience the same sort of thing with how crazy this year was. You have to remember, they started spring training normally back in February. They had to stop for months when the virus hit and everything came to a halt. And then they had to report to summer camp and quickly get ready starting in July for a really quick, shortened, strict, and intense season. It was a tough year for a lot of guys. There were circumstances and it was a schedule that no guy had had to experience in the major leagues in their life. It was a baseball schedule unlike any other as we remember. So he shed some light on the fact that when Glaber first showed up to the second spring training and it took some time into the season to get him into shape, that was definitely a big reason why apparently he struggled the way that we saw he did. So you imagine and you hope that if the 2021 season is as close to normal as possible or if it is completely normal that of course that doesn't happen to him or any other guys again. And hopefully we won't have to ever see a summer camp ever again. 
just the regular spring training that we all know of and love from the end of February towards the end of March, and then the regular season starts and everything goes normally. You just hope. Because I doubt Glaber was the only one that showed up to summer camp out of shape, and he definitely wasn't the only good player to struggle in 2020, as we well know. He also quickly hit on his defense, saying that he thinks he's more than capable of playing short, but he acknowledges that he's a better second baseman than he is a shortstop. Which again, as I'm pretty sure I also hit on briefly back in the Q&A segment, we know that that's the case, even though the difference isn't astronomical. But we know that the Yankees still believe in him at shortstop, he's a young kid, and he could very well improve at the position with hard enough work. And I happen to believe that. I have since the offseason started, and I've said that many times here on the show. But of course, a lot of that depends on what the Yankees decide to do or not do with DJ, or any trades they may or may not make involving the infield, who knows. We've gone over basically all the different potential scenarios that could take place throughout the last few weeks. So like everything else, we'll have to wait and see what happens, but that is what Cashman had to say about Glaber. As far as Gary, although there's been an acknowledgement about how awful his 2020 was, he basically just said again that he's still believing in Gary and that he could have a bounce back season in 2021, and that's more or less how I feel with the added notion that this basically has to be his last chance. It just has to be, because if anybody is acknowledged, even with all the times that I've defended Gary in the past, if anybody has acknowledged how much of a chore it was to watch the man play baseball last year, in 2020, it was me. But I have also voiced how much I appreciate that for the first time in seven years, the guy is working hard in winter ball, doing pretty good at it, might I add, to put it mildly. But the guy is doing all he can, working hard this winter to turn it around because he himself has got to know otherwise why would he be working this hard this offseason. Something had to have gone off in the man saying, I've got to get it together. And he is working hard, doing all he can so he could go out there in 2021 and have a great season. And I appreciate the effort. I do. And I too hope that he really, really proves himself in 2021 and continues to for many years down the line. We all know that at the start of his career, how much anticipation was surrounding Gary Sanchez, and I want that to still come true, but after all that's happened and after all we've spoken about with him, I've also said that this has got to be his last chance to prove himself, so if he doesn't, to say the least, it's not going to be good for his career as a Yankee, and quite frankly, I think it'll be over at that point. His career as a Yankee, that is. So that's basically what he said about Gary, acknowledging his 2020, but also showing some confidence in him for 2021. When it comes to Masahiro Tanaka... I mean, it just seems like at this point, with as little as there is being said, it just seems like Masahiro Tanaka at this point very well could be the casualty in the Yankees' payroll cuts. The main casualty. It's looking like he might not come back, which, as we've said, that's a tough guy to lose when you have as many question marks in the rotation as you do for next year. So, with the lack of the way the Yankees have been talking about him, not a really good indicator for his future here, if you ask me. They could definitely still sign him to a very team-friendly deal if he is to agree to it, but again, as of now, it's not looking great for Tanaka. And speaking of the payroll, it does seem like there is a chance they could go over the 210, but as I mentioned earlier in the show too, not really any specific details as to how much they'd be willing to go over it. Maybe somewhere between 215 and 230, maybe? But of course, as we know, there is no guarantee that they'll even go over it in the first place, obviously. So, I don't know. We'll see what the Yankees do in that area when all is said and done. We know that they could afford to go over it. They're the New York Yankees. We've said this week in and week out. But sorry, Yankees. When it comes to financials, nobody is going to feel bad for you. No one. But guys, as for now, that is all for episode 76 of Yapping Yankees today. Bit of a longer one today. Let's give one last shout out to Grunt Talks MLB and Ball 9. Ball 9 brings you some of the best baseball content out there. Baseball stories, old and new, articles, roundtable discussions, suggested baseball podcasts like Yapping Yankees, and more. Visit Ball 9's website, ball9.com, and follow them on all social medias at Ball 9, and know what you don't know. And our other shout-out goes to Grunt Talks MLB. Visit their website, grunttalksmlb.com, to see all of their baseball content and, of course, where they feature Yapping Yankees. Also, follow the mastermind behind the website. His name is Darren, and you can follow him on Twitter, at YankeeReport28. And also, be sure to follow Grunt Talks MLB across all social medias, at GruntTalksMLB. Special thanks to our friends over at Grunt Talks MLB and Ball9 for helping to spread the word every week about yapping Yankees. Also, guys, be sure to follow me on all social medias, of course, so you can keep up on the latest having to do with me personally, along with the Yankees and yapping Yankees announcements. 
content and Twitter and Instagram social media segments every Saturday. Follow my Facebook fan page at Mike Scudero and why follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and on Instagram at Mike Scuds. 97. And also, guys, I would really appreciate it if you took the time to hit that subscribe button on the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel. That channel continues to grow. Keep on helping it along and subscribe to the Yapping Yankees YouTube channel. And also subscribe and always listen to Yapping Yankees on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. And while you're at it, why not listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you've missed? Episodes 34 up to episode 76 today are available on YouTube, and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Yapping Yankees is available on all four of those platforms, so do help spread the word and tell everybody you know to listen to Yapping Yankees. Once again, thank you 3000 for listening to me yap today. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, December 20th, when I come at you with episode 77 of Yapping Yankees. Until then, guys, you know the deal. Hang in there. Be patient. Please stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Support your small businesses. And Yankees, re-sign DJ. Have a good week, guys. Take care. Take care.